my oldest daughter was maybe three or four and was learning to write some you know basic letters she wrote it down on the sticky notes it's very cute scribbly handwriting and i've taped that to the fridge and so every time i open that fridge i at least see that what is up everybody and welcome back to the schooling struggle podcast it is our belief that the only guarantee in life is that we are all going to struggle and how we choose to embrace our struggles is what empowers us to become the best versions of ourselves. What's up? My name is Pete, and with me is my friend and co-host, Todd. What's going on, Todd? What's happening, Peter? How you doing? Oh, man. Do you have people in your life that, and I have a couple, that every time I have a conversation with them, I walk away thinking like I learned something or I'm a little bit smarter or they've asked me a question that's challenged me in some way? It does happen. Typically with this other guy I know named Peter, but yep. (laughs) Um, Tonight's guest is that for me. Every time we have a conversation, I walk away feeling like a better human being. And when we decided a while back that we're going to bring guests on, uh, he was on the top of my list of people to bring on because I've learned so much from him through our conversations. And I think he has so much to share to our team of listeners out there. So without further ado, I'd love to bring on Doug Anton. What's up, Doug? Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super psyched to have you and I have truckloads of questions for you. Um, but before we get into that, I just like to tell people just to share the facts. So um, when it comes to anything you'd want listeners to know about your background or anything about yourself, just uh, try not to be too humble because you're an extremely humble human being, but just share us with the facts what you'd want us to know about you as we get into the conversation. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm 33 years old. I teach social studies at the high school level. I love to play basketball, travel, hike, spend time with my family. I have two young girls, ages seven and four, uh, three, almost four. And yeah, I'm super pumped to be here. The, uh, the conversations you and I have had over the past few years, fitness, financial, education. I mean, we've had wide ranging conversations, philosophy, um, I'm super excited that you and I will be leading an international trip to Morocco uh, later this school year. And yeah, that's that's kind of who I am. And uh, I know that you had talked about delayed gratification as the topic, but I know that stems to so many different fields. And I'm super excited to, to be here tonight to talk about that. Doug, he has a lot in his in his background of really cool things that he's accomplished. A host of degrees, a bunch of really cool experiences. Uh, he's got a ton of leadership stuff underneath his belt. Every morning when I get to school, I prioritize my day by meeting my extrovert needs by kind of making the rounds and dropping dropping into people's classrooms and saying good morning. And a while back, I dropped into Doug's room and he said, hey, I, I, think, I, I think I figured out the key to success in life. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. What is it? He's like, delay of gratification. I think that's the answer. And and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that's going to make an episode, an awesome episode someday. So when talking about what we're going to focus on the conversation tonight, um, given the fact that our podcast is based on schooling struggle or trying to navigate the struggles that are present in our lives, one thing that I know that I struggle with and that a lot of people struggle with is just that, the delay of gratification. And Doug, we talk often about the concept of be willing to give up what you want now for what you want most. And I think that's that's what delay of gratification is. And when you think about delay of gratification and how it applies to your life, where does that lead you? Just that that thought. Because there's so many different avenues and inroads that it could go down. I'm curious to know what, what that is for you. 
I love that you used that, that definition of what you just said there. That was actually the, the top thing I had written on my notes for tonight. Um, because if you Google delayed gratification, you'll get a, a wide range of kind of economists and psychological, academic kind of cut and dry definitions. And uh, what you said, and I wrote this down specifically the first time you told me this, I don't know, six months ago or something, giving up what you want now for what you want most in my life. Uh, I've done that subconsciously in some things with a lot more effort in others, and I'm still struggling and failing to to use it in a lot of aspects as well. Uh, I think probably one of the things I'm most confident in is my ability to delay gratification when it comes to finances. I know that um, personal and physical fitness is a, a big, uh, you're a big proponent of that. And financial wellness is a term that I've started to use more often, the idea that people being financially and uh, economically fit and, and well. So I think for me personally, my sense of uh, security in both my current job and my current finances in my family, as well as in the future and saving for retirement. As you know, I'm a huge proponent of, of investing and saving for the future. And I tell, t- teach that to all my students. I think one of those areas where I, I'm more in the middle is uh, health and diet and exercise and fitness. I love to play basketball and, I, and I'm fairly active some days and other days I'm a total couch potato. Um, and speaking of potatoes, some days I'm eating very, very healthy and good and, and all the right stuff. And other days I'm pounding the chips. And uh, that idea of thinking, you know, imagining your, your future self and, and how you're treating your future self um, through that, the lens of delayed gratification uh, is, is very challenging. It's awesome. Thank you. So, so Doug and I interact quite frequently and he picks my brain about what are some things that I can be doing now so that I can have a high level of vitality and functionality into my later years. And I asked the same with him about, about finances. So we, we kind of trade secrets back and forth or trade hacks back and forth about ways that we think that we can be the better version of ourselves down the line. So Doug, what I'd love to do is take a moment and to kind of dig into your specialty, which is economic and financial fitness. If I were to ask you to define that, someone who's, uh, did you say, was the term financially fit or economically yeah, exactly. fit? Yeah. yeah. What, does that, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I think it's, it's a tricky answer because just like the time I think I asked you, what is, what is perfect fitness or perfect physical wellness look like? It depends on the person. Uh, but to be financially fit, you are able to meet your your needs now, and and I would say address some of your wants. So all of your needs are taken care of for the moment, and you have the ability to address at least some of your wants. You have a long term uh, plan, so that you're able to do that both in the short term and in the future. And it is uh, a plan that is solid, based on a variety of factors that you have control over and you are not putting too much uh, too much faith or reliance on things outside of your control. Um, I think a, a lot of people have a sense of, I don't need to save for retirement, for example, because social security will be there or the Vermont teacher's pension will be there or whatever it is. Uh, and so for, my, for me, personal uh, financial fitness is are your short-term needs and wants taken care of? And do you have a reliable long-term plan for that as well? That's awesome. I think um, managing finances is something that, that many people struggle with, regardless of their size or level of income. And to hear you hear you share, share that's really helpful. I have a bunch of different ways that this conversation can go of things that are flowing through my head right now. But as always, I tend to dominate the conversation. I want to pass it over to my boy, Todd. 
because he's been feverishly taking notes over there as you're speaking, Doug. And I'm curious to know what's going through Todd's mind and what he wants to bring up, bring to the conversation. You know, I like the way that we do this because I get to like let my thoughts cook <laughs> while the people are in the kitchen. Then I come in, I'm like, this needs a little more salt. So thank you for that. Um, I, I wonder when you when you when you're talking about. Um, First of all, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Sorry, I always, forget, I always forget to say these things. You talked about financial wellness and and ecofit, right? And and the difference between the you, that you have in your awareness of, um, you know, I'm snacking on bags of chips, and I know I could do better in these different areas. When you think about, um, like, if you can hold those two things at one time and contemplate, what is it that interests you in the financial area that doesn't interest you or put, pull you towards the other aspects where you know that it's a little bit different or lopsided? Does it make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. It's uh, the the similarities are, are so abundant, uh, and it's it's the differences I think that make that make the difference for so many individuals. Um, the idea of looking at that bag of potato chips and going to grab the apple instead is essentially, in my mind, the same as looking at that twenty bucks in your pocket and and putting it in your Roth IRA instead of going to whatever you know store. And uh, so that that's where they're the same. Where they're different is it's hard physically and mentally for me to get down on the floor right now and do 40 push-ups. And I know that would give me bring me long-term dividends. I know it have a significant you know return, I mean, not just one time, but repeated and, and you know uh, sustained exercise. Mental, um, me- mentally, it's challenging, it takes willpower, it takes physical exertion. The financial equivalent is there is still a cost, but it's not physical typically. Mm. Um, it's watching that money, you know, go into your bank account instead of, and, and maybe even watching on social media while your friends go out and have fun and you didn't do that because you're not going to spend $150 on a Friday night at the bar or, or whatever it is. Um, so that's, for me, that difference is where you can make the biggest gains uh, because there you don't have to, no one's ever, I hope, gotten you know overexerted and sweated because of their financial you know the cost of their financial decisions um so it doesn't have that physical element to it hmm that's interesting because i remember when i was a, when i was a lad i i screwed up my life pretty well financially like i was just bouncing checks i was doing things that people just shouldn't do and i recall checking calling the bank to see how much of a hole i had dug myself and the anxiety <laughs> like just the stress of pushing those numbers to find out was a physical manifestation of the problems I had created for myself in physical or in um, financial realms. So I, it's it's curious to me. I, I see what you're saying. Like <laughs> I don't want to do these pushups because it's going to be hard. I'd rather spend you know x amount of money. But I wonder is is what happens when you get to the end and you haven't and you haven't been paying attention to the health side or the eating side and now you have you know tons of cash, hopefully, right? If we've done everything to, to you know, fit your, fit your goals or whatever, but then you can't use it. Like, do you ever contemplate that or like, yeah, <laughs> let's use it to pay for healthcare and then we'll be fine. Completely. No. Th- and that's why the two go hand in hand. And that's why as I've gotten older, um, mm-hmm. as I've feel like I've gotten a bit more competent and confident in the financial side of things, that's why I'm showing up at Pete Driscoll's door and saying, help me master this other side because one without the other doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, um, that is for me personally, one of the most motivating factors is 
if I am able to secure a relatively early by international standards retirement and a relatively safe and, and comfortable retirement, but if I am decrepit and I can't walk up a flight of stairs, let alone get on a plane and tra- fly to Thailand and hike and, and do whatever I want to do, uh, well, what's the point? Uh, and so one motivates the other. But to go back to your point on the physical kind of manifestation, you, you are spot on. And you're right. I neglected to make that point. The, the anxiety and the stress that come with people who are not financially fit or at times in their life struggling with financial decisions can man- manifest itself in very physical ways and can have detrimental health effects as well as detrimental uh, financial effects. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for clearing that up. One thing I want to note too that, that I saw, I've <laughs> somehow I've got this, I've been exercising it a lot, but I have this ability or this new found thing to like back up off of when I listen to people talk and kind of observe it from a very high level. And it's, it's very cool to, to hear you, you two are, you realize the strengths in each other and the weaknesses, and then you play those like, oh, I'm not very good at saving money. Well, Peter's pretty good at working out. How about we trade setups for, for you know, interest points and we'll see what happens there. I, I think that's a really cool thing to know about yourself and to see that in others. And, and hopefully, you know, you can gravitate towards that where it's like, I know that I'm weak in the spot, but it's cool that somebody else can help me out of that. But um, yeah. We had a really cool conversation. Uh, go ahead, Doug. Oh, I, I was just going to jump in and say that, what Todd just said really uh, goes back to when I was kind of thinking of, you know, what ultimately do I hope listeners or the audience or whoever's is listening to this walk away from this conversation from is that idea right there that we can shape our environment in order to improve our fitness in whatever element. Um, Ooh, and that's, I'm nice. just such a strong proponent of that idea of shaping the environment. Um, I don't know how philosophical we want to get on this. I've had so many conversations, debates with my friends about things like willpower and free will and whatnot. Um, and, and the biggest realization I've come, whatever, whatever the realm is, if you're trying to make a change, the single greatest thing that has leverage over change is shaping the environment around you that will facilitate that change. Um, and so I, one of the ways I do that is trying to spend more time with people who will make up for the areas that I lack in. Yeah, I, I think the studies show that the single biggest dictator of someone's outcome is indeed their environment. Don't quote me on the source on this, but um, when it comes to financial outcomes, the single biggest predictor of that is the zip code that somebody grew up in. It's not IQ. It's not level of education, which they all, they all play into it, but just how environment plays such a big role in everything that, in everything that we do. Doug, I have a question for you. So I'll kind of lead off with the story, I guess. So after I graduated college, I decided that I wanted to travel a lot. And I did that for five years. I traveled all over the place. And I I remember distinctly sitting on the bank of the river in Paris and kind of being in the, the back alleys of Paris and really kind of what I said in my 20s is really living and absorbing the, the environment and the culture at that time. And I saw mountains of tour buses going by with people in their 60s, 70s, 80s in these air-conditioned buses. And I'm thinking to myself, man, these people are really missing out. Like they're just getting it from the window of the bus where I'm actually in here living it. And, you know, that was just my own my own mindset at the time. You know, then I come home and read articles about people that, you know, they save their whole money, they save all their money for these trips that they want to do later in their life. And then something happens, be it medical or not, and they're not able to access that. So my wife and I talk about often is the balance between, like you just said, living what you want now, but also preparing for the future. I always, 
I love the saying that um, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Kind of navigating that piece, whether it's your fitness, your health, your finances, of getting the most out of your life now, live truly living each day. I want to live each day. I don't want to live the same day 10,000 times. How do I live each day, but also, or how do you navigate that? Live each day while preparing for that financial freedom down the road. So in, in economics, there's the concept of marginal analysis. And I teach my students this in, in the economics and personal finance class that I teach. Very few decisions in our lives are all or nothing. So it's not, do I save for retirement or do I not save for retirement? It's how much do I save for retirement right now at this given moment? It's not, do I, you know, what am I going to, do I go to college or do I not go to college? It's, do I further my education in some way or do I do half workforce and half college? Do I take a, you know, a gap year? Everything is these decisions at the margin, even ice cream. It's not, do I get ice cream or do I not get ice cream? It's, do I want one scoop? Do I want two scoops? Do I want three scoops? And so thinking about, planning for long-term financial future is the same thing. There's this money I have access to right now, and it can afford me X, Y, and Z. And then there's also this hypothetical money in the future that if I don't get X, Y, and Z now, I can have access to ABC money or and then by proxy, ABC thing, experience, whatever in the future. If you are only living for the future, I think you'll end up with a pretty, you'll, you'll have a pretty bad time on, on the way there. Right. And, and I have certainly seen that. I don't know how familiar you are with like the, the FIRE community, F I R E, financial independence, retire early. It's kind of this growing movement of the past few years. There's a lot of kind of uh, groups and forums online. And a lot of people there are, are living super, super, super frugally and, you know, squeezing every penny. Uh, and they're retiring sometimes in their 30s even. But, Every now and then, you'll I'll see a post or I'll, I'll hear a story from someone who's in their effort to achieve that they they've lost that i that the meaning of the day to day life and um it's you know they find themselves well I don't have to work anymore I'm 35 but all my friends still do so what do I do about that um, yes I'm financially independent I don't have to work but I really did want to travel a lot and travel costs money typically and so I don't have the level of freedom I want. I personally allow myself to splurge somewhat regularly as long as I am not making what I'd call a dent in the big picture. Um, so, you know, not to talk specific numbers, but to just think of on a data, you know, week by week by week basis, going out to eat with my wife once a week, something like that, getting takeout, especially in the beginning of COVID, that became kind of a thing we would do just to guarantee what, every Friday night we're going to spend time together. After the kids go to bed, I'll go grocery shopping. I'll get takeout. We'll come back and we'll just kind of hang out. And uh, yeah, could that $30, $40 be better spent and, and turn into multiples of that in the future if I invested that? Absolutely. But if I didn't do that, uh, that takes a toll on my current mental well-being and my current relationship well-being and, and whatnot. And so finding those things that, um, you know, the investment term would be called taking profits. So as things are growing, you know, you don't just wait on it forever. And as you watch exponential growth happen, at some point, you need to take some profits. I think that same rings true for, for your day-to-day -day life. Find the opportunities to take profits uh, and, and reward yourself on the way because the destination uh, is not the, the only goal. The journey is, is part of the goal as well. Todd's smiling. I love how you take your passion for 
finances and it carries over or has a spillover effect into other aspects of your life. Hence, you asking me questions about, hey, if I have money when I'm older, but uh, I'm not able to do the things I want to do, you know, how, how can I mitigate against that so that so I can do the things I want to do? Um, what you just said reminds me of something that I heard, and this has been helpful for me. I am a, a saver. My father, um, t- my father had three sons and he was very, very financially astute. And uh, we all took his lessons differently and have applied them to our lives very differently. I tend to be the one that saves. Um, but I heard somebody call what you just, um, the example you gave of getting takeout once a week with your wife to invest in your relationship and your, your mindset as inputs. So if we spend money on something that is aligned with what we say we want to be or who we say we want to be, that's an investment in ourselves. So for me, anytime I spend money on high quality workout equipment, that's an input. So instead of uh, having gym memberships for the last 12 years, I've saved $100 a month and invested in my own home gym. So here I am 12 years later at $100 a month. My home gym is pretty robust. I might not have a nice couch in my living room, but my home gym is amazing because that's an input for me. Um, spending time and doing experiences with my daughter. So for Christmas, my wife and I don't get my daughter stuff. We get her experiences and we go as a family and we and we do stuff those are inputs and and different people can have different things that are inputs for some people it's having an amazing lawnmower or having a really nice car or whatever that is so i think when we're thinking about spending money it's all right is this an investment in myself and if this is an investment in myself it's an input and an input is not a waste of money in any way you know and that can be um books that you're reading classes that you're taking certifications that you're getting anything that enhance the quality of any of the important relationships in your life. To me, those are inputs and that's money well spent. I couldn't agree more. For me, it's it's not the home gym equipment, of course, but it's the travel stuff. So I've got my wall with seven backpacks, one for backpacking, one for traveling on an airplane that just fits the right amount for carry-on only. So I can save that $80, whatever. I mean, you, you name it, I've got it because it facilitates those experiences that are the most important thing to me. Um, if I can, if I can have the right gear to make the, these, uh, these experiences as awesome as possible, as enjoyable as possible, as comfortable as possible, uh, that's my goal. And I, I know I can say pretty confidently that, you know, 50 years from now, when I look back, I'm not going to miss that $200 I spent on that backpack because I took it to 10 countries and I had great, amazing times with 30 friends over that time or whatever it is. It's awesome. What you got, Todd? I got some things. Let's go back to, <laughs> let's go back to travel with me, if you will, back to shaping your environment. I'm curious to know, um, in the context of shaping or interacting with the, the environment around you in which you choose to invest yourself in, what are ways that you, that you, what are things that you leverage to construct that? So let's say I know I'm in a place that's maybe not as conducive to success as I want, as I want to align with my intentions. How do you realize that and what do you do to then make that shift to make your environment a different place? That's a tough question. And that's the hardest question. And you know, people write books and sell courses on this on that question alone. You know, the you know the saying, you know, take a look look around at your friend. If you want to see your future, yeah. take a look at your friends right now. And, you know, if you're curious about what kind of you know, what it's like to work with the people at your job, look around at your colleagues and that'll be you in ten years or whatever. I, I think that kind of rings true here. Uh a social interaction is the fabric of what makes us human and what makes human life meaningful, at least from my perspective. I am as pretty introverted as they get, um, but I have a few very close friends that I try to maximize my experiences with. 
others I know are a bit more socially extroverted, but the, the consistent, I think, is having people in your life that are aligned with those values and those goals that you, that you share and that they will help you and facilitate you in accomplishing them. I see and I, and I get frustrated often when I see my students sharing their goals, their passions, the things they want to pursue. But when you look around at the people they spend their time with, and part of it's just the nature of their 16-year-old brains, but they're, they're, they're putting so many barriers in their own way to achieving their goals simply because of the people around them are not going to be supportive of their goals. Not intentionally, and of course, oftentimes subconsciously, uh, and just at a small public high school in Vermont, part of the nature is the, that pool of people in your life is just not that big. Um, so I think the first thing is kind of surrounding yourself with people uh, who will push you and who will encourage you to do better um, and who will see the value in your goals and affirm them. I would also say that, you know, there are little little hacks and even cheesy things that people can do. So one thing that comes to my mind is when my, my oldest daughter was maybe three or four and was learning to write some, you know, basic letters. Uh, she was practicing her letters. And one thing that my wife and I try to talk with our family a lot about is, is eating healthy, even though we don't always accomplish that goal. And Maddie asked me how to spell be healthy. And so I dictated to her. She wrote it down on the sticky notes. It's very cute, scribbly handwriting. And I've taped that to the fridge ever since she made that. And so every time I open that fridge, I at least see that. And that's to me is it's not a hundred percent, but it's so much more motivating than me than some other, you know, one time thing or watching the YouTube video or talking to the 60 year old person who, who ate unhealthy or whatever. Um, because it's someone I care about and it's got this childhood innocence to it of, I owe it to not only myself, but also to my family to, to be at my best physically. And one way to do that is by eating healthier. Um, little things like that. Uh, I've tried to find more of those in my life. Mm, that's cool. So thinking about that shape, that those shaping elements and how that, how that works, um, how do you know when it's working? Like, especially in the, in the shift where you probably, well, you already called it out. You see these students and you're like, my experience tells me that they're not going to be supporting you. So how would you do that to your, how do you do that for yourself? Like if I've, if I made a change in my environment, do you have a way to like gauge the metrics of its efficacy or is it just like, that's not really getting me where I want. So I'm going to interrupt real quick. I walked into Doug's room the other day. He goes, Hey, I got a question for you. And I go, what? He goes, if I eat 10 less grams of sugar with my cereal in the morning, six days a week, but I binge on a little extra ice cream on the weekends, where does that leave me? So I just love that he's thinking about this stuff, like the metrics of, all right, if I give up 60 grams of sugar throughout the course of my week, <laughs> is it better, the same, or worse if I take that 60 grams and have a little extra ice cream on the weekend? Like, yeah. just, so You asking him that question just made me think of that little anecdote. I like to have evidence-based research to support my <laughs> ice cream habits, ideally. So. Um, Dairy Gold loves you. But yeah, to answer your question, that is an area where I still struggle. And I think that one, one way I know I'm successful is being here right now, for example. Having, you know, it's very affirming, obviously, to have Pete come to me and say, hey, you are someone I consider an expert in this. Mm. I want to talk to you more about this. When I don't have people coming to me and saying, you know, hey, Doug, tell us more about how you've mastered, you know, your your diet. That's a little bit of a, okay, that's, you know, people look up to me in one way. That's the, I'm not having people ask me about that. How can I do better there? Um, again, so it's feedback as an indicator, like not only how you feel, but like kind of what's coming in. Like you, other people see it, other people ask about it, then you can feel 
oh, I'm, I'm doing this thing and it's meaningful. I think making those kind of social commitments, I mean, even small things. At, at my department uh, lunch the other day, I said that I was, my goal was to not eat cereal for an entire week, knowing that the next Friday when I saw them all, they would ask me, they would ask me how it went. Um, uh, you know, yeah. If I just shared that with one friend or if I just shared that with my students or whatever, it doesn't have that same impact. So it's a, a bit of a commitment device, um, just making those goals public. And then kind of looking around and saying, hey, am I becoming the resource, right? I, I, I'm sure maybe P would disagree, but, you know, he's obviously a, a, an absolute, you know, whiz when it comes to fitness and wellness and exercise. And he's a resource for people. And so when you get to that level, I think, you know, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he would say he's got a lot to work on, um, but he's at that, at that level where people see him as someone to go to. Not that you need to become the guru for every, every facet in life. Uh, but I think that social commitment is is an important element of it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Thanks. I got one so more, you, but we'll wait. Go. <laughs> I have so many. I have okay. So many. Yeah, yeah. We talked about uh, you talked about dents in the big picture, or like you know, I, I can account for these things, or I can take these hits, and I know that um, I think Pete called them inputs. Like it's an acceptable uh, spe- expenditure, let's say in order to, to increase what I'm, what I'm currently doing or how I currently feel to invest in other people around me, that, that thing and the other thing. When you were talking about that, I thought to myself, um, the direction and the, and the financial, um, things that, that you're interested in or that you teach, right? I know that when I look at my 401k these days, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is not looking good. Like everything's just, <laughs> And at the same time, like, I know that I'm way better off than a lot of my friends or even people of my age, right? So I'm like, oh, well, that's acceptable to me. But I wonder when we go back and we talk at the very beginning, you were like things that I can control, things within your control. What happens with the things that are outside of your control that then diminish the return on what you thought was a comfortable level? So that's a great example. Not to sound too negative, but when I pull up the the S&P 500 for the day and I see it's down 3%, that's good news, right? That's 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 something that I'm continuing to purchase and it's on sale for me right now. I don't need that right now. I know it's very hard to break the habit of looking at your overall nest egg and seeing, wow, I lost X dollars today. Um, but the more times you can repeat yourself, and again, that, that social element, you know, one of the things I do with my students is I literally show them my like I log into my accounts and show it to them. Like this is what it looks like, and here's how things kind of here's how it works. Um, and one of the reasons I do that is because it allows, it's a way for me to kind of walk the walk and not just say it, but yep, I lost X amount of dollars yesterday and I don't, it doesn't phase me. It doesn't bother me. And it allows me to kind of actually uh, feel that bravado that I'm at least trying to express to my students. Um, you don't, you know, what, that money in retirement, it, it could be, there could be $0 in your account as long as, you know, the day before you retire, as long as the plan is for there to be however much you need the next day. Um, and obviously that's kind of a, an extreme example, but what I can control is how much I am investing. So if right now the market's down and I've seen a ton of posts already online and a lot of the, the kind of personal finance, you know, social media circles that I, I follow a lot of people saying, you know, I can't do it anymore. You know, this, this market right now, it's down, it's down, it's down. I'm bailing. You know, I, I thought I was strong enough, whatever. Uh, and, and it kills me a little bit because it's, you know, this is the time. Uh, to stay the course. This is, you know, the, you, you can look at the chart a, a thousand times uh, for the past 100 years and find every, over every 30 year period, the S&P 500, for example, is up over every given 30 year part, period, including the Great Depression. And so seeing those numbers and hearing those anecdotes, I hope that can move the needle for some people. Um, 
but it's psychologically it's hard. So the things I can't control is, am I still putting money out of my paycheck in there? In fact, I have control. Can I increase that? Is maybe the next few months I'm going to, I'm going to stop eating out because here's an opportunity for me to get maybe potentially additional gains by investing right now that I didn't have six months ago. So viewing everything with kind of the opportunity mindset of, uh, what can I do uh, with the opportunity presented to me? Not, oh, this is happening to me and kind of the woe is me. You know, I need to get out. Yeah. I like how you said it. it's on sale. It's down 3%. Well, this is the scratch and dent. Check it out. I'm yeah, that's this. what he, he said yeah. that to me a number of times recently. Hey, this stuff's on sale. Hope you uh, hope I love you're- it. Bargain shopping. Yeah, that's a good yeah. thing. I've had conversations with Doug and he says, you know, for him, talking about financial figures, either of himself or others, is not a taboo thing. Um, and, and I feel the same way. I'd be happy to talk about my personal stuff. In our culture, it's a very, very taboo subject, one that people don't don't even broach often obesity and overweight and how we take care of our body is, is another example of that. And it's something that I think is really different and cool about Doug is that that is not a taboo subject for him. So I can ask him specific questions and he can, he can share with me some of his stuff. And one of our conversations, he shared with me um, a flow chart that basically said, if you're thinking about preparing for the future in, in financial terms, you want to do this first and you want to do this second and you want to do this third. And I printed out the, the flow chart and brought it home to my wife and we've been following it to a T and we're, each time we're kind of making, making our, our awesome. steps to the next, to the next level. Yeah. And so Doug, I would love if you wouldn't mind uh, for the benefit of the listeners, cause we try to provide some tactical information that listeners can walk away from the uh, conversation with, but I'm curious to know the first bunch of steps in that flow chart. If someone that's either in high school is listening to this podcast or maybe is 60 and hasn't saved a nickel yet in their life, what are the steps that you have learned through your research that are the ways that we should approach starting to prepare for or enhance our financial fitness? That's a great question. So uh, I, I don't have the, the flow chart down by, by memory, but pretty darn close. Um, the first step always is to uh, do some accounting. There, there's still way too many people, the high school kids especially, um, not to keep kind of picking on them. Um, but I see them leaving my classroom, with, you know, coming back at lunch with McDonald's or, or whatever. And it's, and the amount of money they're spending, it's, it's not that they don't have, you know, for a lot of them, uh, they, they have, they, a lot of them have jobs. They, they bust their butts on weekends and after school. And it's awesome that they're making this money. They're making this income, but I don't think they're sitting down and saying, wow, I'm, I'm actually bringing in $500 a week and I'm spending 200 of it on, you know, uh, mobile app games and McDonald's and gas to do things with my, uh, with, with my friends that maybe are not as important to me. So the first step is, is to kind of do some accounting and take stock of money coming in, money going out, uh, and then create a budget. Going back to the original conversation, are you taking care of your needs? After you've done that, the second step is to pay off debt. But what I mean by paying off debt is you want to pay off the bad debt. So there's good debt and there's bad debt. Bad debt is debt that is high interest uh, is debt on things that bring uh, what I would say is temporary satisfaction as opposed to long-term value. And so, you know, good debt is things like a mortgage or, or even buying, you know, buying a, a car uh, because that car is a, you know, it's going to facilitate you getting a job and being able to travel and successing. Now, do you need the brand new $45,000 truck? Probably not. So after you've kind of taken account of things, uh, you've created a budget. You kind of see you're, you're paying what you're paying what you need for the essentials in your life. 
the next step then is to build an emergency fund. Again, even for high school students, it's always a good idea to have an emergency fund. Uh, you don't know what kind of financial situation you could find yourself in, uh, or maybe even it, it could not necessarily be for emergencies, uh, but for an opportunity. Say, for example, a school trip comes up that's going to cost you a fair amount of money, but you already have $800 in the bank. That might be the difference between you being able to participate or not. Most people, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give some advice that's applicable to both, you know, younger kids and high school age kids as well as adults. Um, but most people, you know, the goal is something like three three months of kind of expenses covered in a, a savings a savings account. Um, you don't once you get you know you, you you don't do anything else until you have that um, because it doesn't matter if you have the newest iPhone if you are 23 and you lose your job and you get evicted from your apartment or whatever. After you've done that, then it's time to invest. Um, the the goal, the magic number that a lot of people use is 15% of your income should be uh, invested for retirement. I, I, the, I, I like that and I don't like it. I like it because it's, it, it is a realistic number. If people can save 15% of their income for a pretty significant amount of their life, 30 to 40 years, it will generally you know, get them a nest egg that will be able to come, come close to replicating their pre-retirement income. The challenge is a lot of people get to that 15% and then it's, oh, I, I met that goal. I'm done. Um, and there's two bad things about that. One, as your income continues to increase, if you are kind of comfortable with how much you're saving and investing, people get complacent. And so I'm not going to be putting any more in, even though I could, because I, I hit that goal of 15%. Secondly, it leads to lifestyle creep. So as that in, your income increases, you begin spending more money, uh, which is going to make your lifestyle in retirement harder to sustain. So it's a double-edged sword. That's kind of one of the big secrets for saving for for retirement is it's you are doing two things. You're saving for retirement and you're reducing how much your lifestyle costs now so that you need less money in retirement. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I, I've learned through my poor, I, I lived out of the back of my truck for five years and traveled around. It was a snowboard bum um, for, yeah, for half a decade. And I learned that instead of buying more stuff, and feeling the excitement of buying more stuff. If I took stuff away from myself, when I got back to the level that I had, I was so happy. And I could, I could have the same amount of happiness or excitement through just taking something away and then giving it back to myself than getting something brand new for the first place. And anyone who's been on a multi-day hike could tell you that a shower after a multi-day hike is priceless. So, you know, if you if you decide to you know, be, be incredibly disciplined and take stuff away. You're not always climbing the ladder and you're, you're gaining a sense of happiness or the same amount of contentment in your life by just staying where you are as to always moving up, getting more, moving up, getting more. And that, that, um, produce consume mentality is, is never ending and it's, it's dangerous. And I'd have to imagine, you know, it's similar to the exercise world where if I start doing five push-ups a day, at some point, that's not going to be enough and I'm going to pl plateau. And it's the same thing with financial fitness. You can start improving XYZ habit. You can pay down a little bit of debt. And then once you get to that point, if if that was your end-all be-all goal, that's great that you've accomplished one thing, but, you know, you still have the whole the whole rest of the journey to go. And so, you know, you would increase your reps, you'd increase your weights in the, in the exercise world. Can you increase your retirement contributions? Can you decrease your spending? Can you take more advantage of tax advantage accounts and tax advantage savings things? Um, and, and so almost, you know, 
for me, it's almost been, you know, the, the, that's the challenge, the game of, you know, when I was 22 years old, got my first job, sitting down at night, reading through all the health insurance plans, not with the question of, well, I mean, partially with the question of which is best for my health, but also which, which is the way I can save the most money and I can come out on top here because it's confusing and it's complicated, but I bet if I take the time to understand it, I can come out ahead. So Doug's asked me questions like, hey, if I'm going to spend five minutes a day stretching, what is the best stretching routine for me <laughs> to increase my mobility? What's the best bang for my buck? And then he talks about ways that he can integrate it into his life. Um, what is it that you're doing every time you brush your teeth now? Oh, right now I'm doing I'm doing squats while I brush my teeth and uh, and heel heel lifts heel raises while I brush my yeah, in between going back and forth. <laughs> and it looks ridiculous, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's awesome. I was going to steer the conversation a different way. Before I did that, was there anything else as far as the flow chart beyond those fifteen um, percent or where you were that you wanted to add, or do you think that's a good stopping point for that piece? The only other thing that that I would add, and especially this is for young people, is when you turn eighteen, you should. Not a tax attorney, not a financial advisor. So that's my disclaimer. <laughs> but you should consider, strongly consider opening a Roth IRA um, and, and investing a little bit. Because just like exercise, we're building those habits. So even if it is $5 out of your, your high school job paycheck, you know, $5 every two weeks or whatever, uh, you're not going to miss that $5. And it's going to start a trend. It's going to start a habit. And just like any exercise or anything challenging, the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll, you'll be and the less you'll miss that thing that you're at first might feel like a loss. Um, so starting young uh, is absolutely the secret. I show my students every year what I call the, the simple path to becoming a millionaire. That It only takes $200 a month to become a millionaire um, as long as you're starting young. And that's over how much time? Uh, that's over 45 years. So if you start at age 20, years. by the time you're 65, yeah. which is kind of considered the standard retirement age, um, I, you know, I encourage and hope most people can plan to retire even earlier if they'd like. Uh, but certainly two, only $200 a month starting at age 20 will get you a million bucks uh, by retirement. I love the creating the habit mentality. So one of my friends called me up one day, they're like, hey, I just bought a rower. I want to start rowing. What do I do? I said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick a time each day, whatever whatever time that works for you. And starting tomorrow, this week, I'd love for you to go downstairs, his rower's in his basement, and just sit on your rower for a minute. Don't pull on the paddle. Don't move your legs. Don't do anything. Just sit on the rower for a minute. And then when you're done, walk away and carry on with your day. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, right now, it's just a matter of carving out the habit, to build the habit that at this time, no matter what's going on, no matter how you feel, no matter how stressed you are, no matter how much sleep you got the night before, at this time of the day, this is your time that you chose you go sit on that rower. And eventually, we'll row for a minute. And then we'll row for two minutes. And then we'll row for three minutes. And over time, we'll get a good rowing workout in. But right now, it's just about building the habit. And that was very, very helpful for that for that individual. I thought that was really cool. And we can say the same, finances. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So question for you, Doug. In the last five years, what's the single best investment in yourself or the single best input that you've made for less than $100? And I'm not, I'm not talking about a financial investment. That's a great question. I can ask, I'll ask Todd the same question too. So Todd, you can ruminate on that for a moment. That the, the answer to that question might be the master key I have to this high school gym so that I can go play basketball with me and my friends whenever we want. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask you not to be humble because I actually don't know the answer to it. What was, what was the award that you won as a basketball player in high school? You were a what? Uh, when I was in high school, I was a McDonald's All-American nominee, and I was part of the Vermont uh, Dream Dozen um, underclassmen and represent Vermont in the Twin State Vermont-New Hampshire All-Star Game. 
It's amazing. And yes, for you listeners out there, Doug can dunk very easily. For a couple more years, if I keep stretching, right, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You get those right stretches in, you might be okay. It's funny that you you say that, but I actually think I I have seen an improvement in my vertical ability, not through muscle gain, but through stretching and agility work. Strange. (laughs) Can, Can you serve the question one more time? What is the best investment you've made in yourself in the last half decade that cost less than $100. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to think on that. <laughs> Very <laughs> anticlimactical. Thanks. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. What about you? <laughs> um, I have a couple. And I think the single best investment that I've made for less than $100 actually cost $6. And that was an eye mask from Amazon. Once I read all the studies about light in the room and how it impacts your sleep, <clears throat> I got an eye mask. And it is amazing. It doesn't matter if my wife is reading with the headlamp on next to me or the smoke alarm has a blinking light, my $6 eye mask from Amazon has really enhanced the quality of my life. Yeah. I think my answer is it's interesting because it it does equate to some sort of monetary value, but I don't look at it in that way. So I think the most, the, the, the biggest benefit of something that I've spent, however you want to look at it is things like this, like it's time for me, right? Like if I invest my time into something, and I know there's a dollar amount, some people track that. I don't. I feel like if it's meaningful to me and it and it can help somebody else, it's a well, it's an investment well worth investing in, right? I think that it. I think by giving of myself in ways that help others learn something or get something out of you know something they didn't know anything about or something like put, point them in a direction where they're inspired or empowered i think that's the that's the biggest thing for me and i can't put a dollar amount on it but for me it's free i free i give it away freely but so so one of the ways that you do that is through this podcast yeah right so yeah. I, so i guess to answer the question objectively you could say the 70 dollar microphone that's in front of my face <laughs> there you go yep yeah doug one of the questions i had for you and you you alluded to this a little bit but i'd be curious to know if you went a little bit deeper on it as you prepare for a high level of financial fitness throughout your life and mental health and physical health. What do you feel are the biggest barriers presently that are in your way or that are challenges for you in reaching your goals across those platforms? Currently, my my family's financial situation works in large part because my wife and I are both willing to spend a lot of time and energy at our jobs. My wife especially works two jobs. Um, and so we, to some degree, we both give up some family time uh, so that we can have, we can be contributing so much to our savings and our, our investments. As a, as a barrier for the mental uh, well-being, it's possible or it's, it's easier uh, when you are um, confident and when things are going well, kind of going back to what Todd said earlier, when things are going well, it's kind of smooth sailing. Uh, but there have certainly been times where I've faced decisions where I'm not sure what the right answer is or things like the beginning of COVID, for example. Uh, for a lot of people, obviously, that caused a lot of you know stress in a lot of different ways. But the, the stress of well, how does something like this not only affect my short-term kind of life, but how is what's the long-term impact of these things as well? That can lead to a lot of stress and, and, and mental kind of anxiety. Um, so being objective, I think, is uh, one of my strengths, but it's I, I, I struggle and, and I'm not always successful at that. Um, can you define being objective? What does that mean to you in that context? I 
it, the other day, uh, an anecdote, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, please. As part of the, the the high school leadership team, we were given this act, this activity over the summer where there's a list of like 50 different adjectives. They're all under the category of values, and we could only pick two of them. Mm. So it was qu- quite a difficult task because it was, to, just, to describe yourself, describe or yourself. to be a mission for the school, to describe, describe yourself. yourself. Okay. Uh, and so there is, you know, so many things that you know most people, uh, most thoughtful people would want to circle at least 40 of them, you know, things that are pretty universal, but you could only pick two. And then there was two boxes at the bottom that you could add, uh, you could add in your own. And uh, so ultimately what I decided on, and I'm still not 100% sure, but I circled the word competence. And then I wrote in the word skepticism. And so what I mean by being objective is uh, I have a strong sense of the way the world is, is not always the way the world seems. Uh, and this plays out in a variety of ways. Just the other day, you know, I got an email from a company um, on my school account saying, you know, hey, this is such and such accounting or, or whatever firm. And we've been chosen. We partner with your school district to help people to you know, save for retirement. And they, they picked the wrong person, obviously, to, to send that email to. Because <laughs> right. I immediately forward that to the superintendent and they say, this is definitely not one of the companies that we work with. Um, I'm worried that other people getting this email could be confused by it and, and might kind of say, become, you know, it's not a scam in the sense of they're going to steal their money, but they're going to solicit their, it's unsolicited business. Um, and I went through the same thing trying to buy a mattress the other day. I went to 10 different mattress stores and got the sales pitch. And I'm reading comments on Reddit and, and watching YouTube videos where they're literally cutting you know, mattresses in half. Uh, I, I have a deep skepticism. And, and that's not that saying that I'm pessimistic or I think the world's out to get me. But I want to, I want to understand the world objectively uh, and not through the subjective experience of somebody else. Uh. Um, but I want to be confident in my own understanding of things. And, and so that's... Um, that's what I mean by objective. Yeah, that's awesome. Good description. Thank you. That's awesome. So as we finish our conversation, which I could have for another six hours, if I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I love the stuff. The time goes by so fast. Yeah, right? This is great. As we wrap up our conversation on delayed gratification, is there any kind of bottom line or anything that we missed on or anything that's applicable from what you've learned or your life that you feel that our team of listeners might want to hear? There's two, there's two things that I put down in my notes of kind of things I wanted to get to that, that we hadn't got to yet. And the first, of course, is the, the famous marshmallow study. So I don't know how we've gone on nearly an hour without mentioning the marshmallow. <laughs> study. Okay. I was waiting for this to come up too. Yeah, me too. Um, and uh, I don't know where you, where you all are at on it currently. Um okay. For, for the listeners that don't know what it is, can briefly, can you just explain it? Sure. Yeah. So um, a, a psychologist, Walter Michel, I think, um, in the 70s or so, uh, brought in a bunch of uh, a randomized group, theoretically, of three or four-year-olds, preschool kids, brought them into a room, uh, sat them down on a chair, and put a marshmallow on the table and said, you can have this if you'd like, or you can wait for me to come back and I'll have two, uh, you'll, you'll get two marshmallows if you wait for me to come back. And what this study found was essentially that those kids, those three and four year olds who were able to wait. And if you watch the videos, you know, they squirm in their seats, they distract themselves, they're dancing or they're looking all, they're, you know, looking everywhere, but the marshmallow, some of them are holding it and squeezing in their hand or hiding it, you know, somewhere else in the room. Those who were able to delay that gratification and wait for the research to come back and thus earn the two marshmallows that later on in life, they did this longitudinal study, 
those students, those uh, kids ended up becoming much more successful adults by a variety of measures, including uh, education, income, uh, life expectancy, rates of drug use and incarceration rates, uh, divorce rates, you know, a wide variety of kind of well-being generally. However, in recent years, there's been some questions about that. And I don't know, you know, where uh, you two have kind of been following that and what you kind of know, of, like recent developments or, yeah, I'm curious what, where you're at. Uh, so what I've heard, it was from my sister-in-law and she was very vocal at a family gathering one time and saying that that study, that particular study in and of itself has been debunked in that when they dug into the, the home lives of the kids um, in the study, it was more of a reflection of the stability of the lives of the kids that was a bigger indicator than the ones that actually did or did not wait for the the marshmallow. That's what I'd heard. I, I can't I can't prove that or back that up with anything, but that, I'm, you're asking where I'm at. That's the last that I've heard about that study. Todd, are so, you in the same place? It's synchronicity, I swear, because earlier there was a meeting and then randomly somebody threw in the chat, you should check out this link about the marshmallow test and how it's been debunked. And I was like, what? I'll add this to the later reading. And so I just opened it and it's exactly that. It says, uh, the conclusion was the marshmallow test was not about self-control after all, but instead it reflected affluence. Where are you at, Doug? Well, so I'm at the same place. I've read the same things that you both referenced. And to be honest, I think it affirms, I found it very affirming, Uh, you know, going back to shaping your environment, um, so if you are young and you don't know when your next meal is going to come or you don't know when authority figures, you don't know if you can always believe what they say, then you're going to take that first marshmallow. And it doesn't it's not a question about your own willpower or your brain chemistry or anything like that. You know, in schools and uh, in professional development things we're often taught, you know, the brain is a muscle and self-control is a muscle. And, and you the more you work at it, the better you get. Um, and I'm not sure I'm not sure where, where I stand on that, to be honest. But what I, I definitely know that this, you know, kind of the reversal or refutation of this study and numerous other things like this indicate is that we have to shape the environment uh, for for these kids, whether it be preschool kids with the marshmallow or the 16 year old doing their homework or, or putting away the, the vape or whatever it is. We have to shape the environment that facilitates those choices. The economic term for this is called choice architecture, which sounds a little too kind of like, you know, Machiavellian and, and creepy. <laughs> totalitarian government-y, um, but we we are confronted with it every day, right? Whether it's the colors that McDonald's puts on their their advertisement um, or the fact that when you start uh, a job in the United Kingdom, you're defaulted into saving for their retirement plan, where in the United States, you have to opt into it. Um, so thim- simple things like that, the way we can influence people's choices uh, it, towards the better. So are you saying that um, when it comes to delay gratification, one of the ways that we can be successful or our duty to ourselves is to shape our own environment as well. That That's where I'm at because I think we have willpower is, is fickle. And I also worry about the danger of if someone faces failure, they will blame themselves and say, I'm not, it's because I didn't have strong enough will. Uh, and, and kind of going along with your better than yesterday mindset, I would rather approach that of, what can I do to change my environment to make it more likely that I will be successful in the future? I like odds. I used to be a professional poker player. So the, the idea that nothing is certain, but you can shift the odds in your favor by shifting the environment. 
when you introduce yourself, you should have mentioned that you're a professional poker player. Yeah, you know, you never know. Some end. people, some people don't always react positively to that. Right? They, they picture. Yeah, like, I don't want to listen like, to this guy. Turn yeah, that uh, eating food out of the dumpster at Foxwoods or something like that. Well, possibly down the road, uh, that willpower conversation uh, could be a setup for a, another episode. Yeah, that would, be, that would be really cool. Absolutely. What was the uh, the second point you had in your notes? Going back to that, that, my emphasis on kind of the social nature of these kind of things. Uh, a great experiment I saw done, informal experiment by another personal finance teacher was they went on their Facebook page they, while they were teaching economics class and they kind of told their students, watch this. They go on their Facebook page, they go online, they find a picture of a uh, brand new Corvette posted on Facebook and say, hey, everyone, look at this car I just bought. You know, I just treated myself. And then they watched the comments and the likes and the interactions, right? And then they waited a few, a few months or whatever. And then they go on their Facebook page again and they say, hey, everyone, I just maxed out my Roth IRA contributions for the year. Look at <laughs> look at me. And nobody liked it. And nobody, you know, no congratulations and feedback. And, and you know, our society, uh, talk about environment, our society is, is so set up for people to, you know, value materialistic things. That is such an uphill battle. And we have to start by kind of acknowledging that, you know, what do we really want? What will bring us happiness? And then how can we set up things that make us more likely to make those changes and be rewarded for them rather than the, all the people in our lives, you know, patting us on the back for the the impulsive car purchase. Yeah. And fitness is the exact same thing. One thing I love about fitness is there is no way around it. You, There is no magic pill. So it's it just takes time and effort. And doing the one workout today might not shape my life, but doing that workout over and over and over and over again with a low trajectory and distant horizon um, will yield some amazing things. But that's not what's revered in this, the social media world of fitness. It's you know doing these crazy movements that no one's ever done before, and you know aesthetically looking a certain way, and all these things. So th that exact same example that you just gave from the car, the Roth IRA, could you know be shared in the fitness uh, perspective as well. I think the similarities are endless and that's why yeah. you know it's so funny that we could both find success in our, in our independent realms and um you know as we attempt to cross over find the new challenges that that come with that and success in one does not guarantee success in the other but that's the challenge of of life. Uh it's so cool. It's so cool. I'm super psyched that you made time to share these thoughts and perspectives with us tonight and um I'm looking forward to bringing you back on and maybe doing some stoic philosophy talk and some, yeah. some willpower talk and some other ways that we can go other than uh, fitness and finances. Yeah, but, I would um, love that. Thank you so much for having me. It's It's been a, a blast. And uh, I hope all those listeners out there open their Roth IRAs today, if not tomorrow. <laughs> 6000 a year, right? You can 6, put in that And dog. the limits are going up next year too. $6,500. So start saving. There we go. There we go. Uh, Doug, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. For all the listeners out there, we appreciate your ears. We thank you for your time. We are incredibly grateful for your attention. We are the School and Struggle Podcast. We are out. See ya. Take care.